You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today on the show, I want to really, really focus in on one of the groups I think is most likely to be a top pick for the Vikings in the draft, one of the, the higher picks, and that is edge rusher. The edge rusher situation is one that has a lot of pieces in flux, not only that, but there are a lot of opportunities. It's one that that is mocked to the Vikings a lot, and I think with good reason. So I want to talk about what the Vikings have at edge rusher right now, and also what their options are to improve upon that, and also how important we should treat that problem. That's going to be kind of the, uh, the, the outline of the show today. And I want to start by talking about the problem. There is this general sense that because of the way this offseason has gone, where the Vikings have like spent way more on defense and they got more defensive players and all their big uh, time free agents were, def- were defenders. Meanwhile, they've got this glaring offensive line problem. There's this sense that like, ah, Zimmer and the Vikings, they only care about defense, right? They All they care, they're going to let the offense wither away and die and all they ever really care about is defense. And I don't think that's necessarily true. For one, it seems like there is an offensive line sign- signing coming, at least if you believe the reporting on that. But even without that, the Vikings had a lot of defensive work to do, and I don't think it like reveals a lot about their overall philosophies that they did it, because they were not approaching this offseason from a clean slate. They were approaching it from a place of a completely decimated defensive roster because of how poorly 2020 went. They were behind the eight ball, had a lot to do. The secondary was in shambles. The uh, defensive line, the front was in shambles. It was super soft the whole year. There were all kinds of problems. You saw the tape, right? At least if you were listening to this show throughout the season, you know where I fell on that. And the takeaways that I had that it was just really hard to stop teams from getting eight yards on the ground every single play. And so they had to to solve that problem. They had to address their secondary. They needed to bolster the depth in that secondary because the Vikings were bringing in street free agents in the middle of the season. And a lot of those problems were going to persist in 2021 if left unaddressed. So I guess my takeaway on that is why are you booing Zimmer? He's right. Like, if you took Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman and you put them on a brand new team, uh, an expansion draft, right, build a roster from scratch, I think you're probably too, like, inundated in the, like, Zimmer always only cares about defense meme if you think that he would take a cornerback first to construct an entire team. Now, yeah, he'd probably take cornerback early and often. I kind of agree. I think cornerback is, I, I would argue, maybe the most important position on the defense, but I don't think that this is a, a matter of, I don't think this offseason allowed them to choose between offense or defense. I think the defense was in urgent need of a complete reconstruction, and the fact that they did that doesn't really reveal much about like their overall philosophies. But they aren't really done yet. The secondary, that's not an emergency anymore. Even with Gladney's and, and Hughes's statuses, you know, we'll call it pending for now. Um, it's not still not like an emergency because even if those two are not available for the start of the season, you still have Mackenzie Alexander in the slot and you have Dantzler and Patrick Peterson outside. You at least have a starting group there and the depth's a little bit shady. And, you know, maybe, you know, you want to 
throw a fourth round pick at it in the draft or something like that, but I wouldn't call it like an emergency. And I think the defensive interior also definitely not an emergency anymore, right? You uh, upgraded from Shamar Stefan to Dalvin Tomlinson, you have Michael Pierce coming back and all that. It's the edge. That's kind of an emergency, because even if we assume that Daniel Hunter is coming back to play for the Vikings in 2021, that is also kind of in flux. So even with Daniel Hunter, the other side of the edge rush is not particularly inspiring. And if, for whatever reason, Daniel Hunter is unavailable, then you have a starting rotation of, of Stephen Weatherly and DJ Wanham. Those are like the two players, like Kenny Willickis is there, I guess. Those are the two players? That is not inspiring in the least. Stephen Weatherly is not particularly impressive of a player. DJ Wanham is also not very inspiring to me. We're going to talk a lot about DJ Wanham a little bit later, but with Stephen Weatherly, he comes in on a $2.5 million contract. That's not starter money. A second round tender is more money this year. So you don't. I don't think the Vikings have really signaled an intention to start Stephen Weatherly, and I think with good reason, right? He has not been good, and he's had opportunities to start and yet not won those jobs. If you think about back to his career when it really took off, which was 2018, Everson Griffin was unavailable. Weatherly, who was in his third year at the time, had been a pretty good rotational player, and he has generally been a relatively productive rotational player. So when he gets that starting job, you would expect things to take off. And now Everson Griffin was kind of in the way for a year and a half again. He comes back in 2019, he plays very well, and then it's less of a, a referendum on Weatherly whether or not he starts over, you know, that performance. But in 2020, the Vikings had a chance to bring him back on a deal. You know, the, the Panthers signed him for two years, $12 million. That was not crazy money. If the Vikings saw him as a starter, they probably could have outbid that, and I think they chose not to. They chose to let Stephen Weatherly go. If, even if I remember the, the reports at the time were that like the Vikings weren't really interested, that interested in bringing him back. And so uh, Weatherly goes over to Carolina, where he gets starting money. He gets $6 million a year. And he doesn't end up really winning that job. Even in the nine games that he played, then he goes on IR, of course. But in the nine games that he played, he plays 358 snaps for them. And he split time more or less 50-50 with Marquise Hayes at the job. So he did not win the like outright starting job. And then instead of letting him come back for IR and play out the last year of his deal, Carolina cuts him. So that was a very unsuccessful time. And if we were to really look into the reasons for this, and maybe if I have more time over the summer, I'll, I'll look closer at the tape here. But there are some pretty good theories that you can come up with for why a rotational player's production doesn't extrapolate when their role expands. If you're playing half the snaps and you do well, you play all the snaps, you do less well. There could be a reason for that. One possible reason is that when you are a rotational player, like when, when uh, Weatherly rotated in with the Vikings, he rotated into fairly favorable situations. He would come in on third down and rush from the inside a lot. He would rush, you know, from like uh, on fresh legs against worn out tackles in the third quarter. And there's a lot of kind of factors when you're a rotational player that kind of help you have a little bit more production. And the fact that you are a change of pace is the advantage of putting rotational backups out there to, you know, give your guys a spell, but also bring out fresh legs on, on a series and, you know, give them, give them hell for a little bit. As a starter, you don't get those advantages necessarily, and tackles get to get a little bit of rhythm against you. As a starter, you know, as a rotational player, if you're going to play 12 snaps in a game, that's only 12 pass rushes, so you can bring out a move on pass rush 10 that you didn't move, that you didn't use for the other nine and the other nine don't have to suffer for it because it's only nine snaps if you are a starter and you want to save a move all the way to the second half to you know catch the tackle off guard you have to get through the whole first half without using that move and if you don't have a particularly diverse arsenal it can be hard to you know space all those things out and keep tackles guessing tackles can get to know you a little bit and get a rhythm for how to block you and as the game goes on the tackle starts to look better 
all of these are just theories. I don't know how much they actually apply to Stephen Weatherly, but regardless of the reason, the fact remains, when he went up to a starting role, things kind of dropped off, and the Vikings seem to agree with that based on the contract that they gave him. Now, DJ Wanham is a different story. Of course, he's a fourth-round draft pick, so that also kind of insinuates that the Vikings wouldn't expect him to be a starter, especially not in his first year. Um, and so, you know, what do we have in DJ Wanham? And, and if this is a competition between Wanham and Weatherly and probably a rotation between them when the season actually starts, just how bad is that? And I really concerned about where that hole would be if the Vikings don't spend a premium asset and try to get a starter at address. I'm going to explain a lot more about DJ Wanham in a little bit, but first I want to talk to you about Granville. Did you make any money on the Gonzaga on the Gonzaga game? If you took that Baylor money line, or if you took, uh, I think Stanford in the women's side was favored. So you know what they say, good teams win, great teams cover, <laughs> go Arizona. But if you made any money, uh, I, want, I want to hear about it. Send a tweet to me at Luke Braun NFL. If you want to try to get in on some bets, bet on some NFL futures. You can bet on basketball games, basketball games. You can go to betonline.ag. Set up a free account, super easy, on your mobile, on your desktop, and when you make your first deposit, you enter promo code Locked On and get a little bit of free Gramblin' money. It's a 50% welcome bonus. So whatever you put in for your first account, you get half of that matched into your account for free to play with if you enter promo code Locked On. That's my gift to you. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Get all the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski, under 20 minutes every single morning, everything covering the wide world of sports. Check that out on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite shows. Now, let's talk about DJ Wanham. So I wrote an article summarizing a lot of the points that I'm making in this show. Uh, That is at Zone Coverage, and most of it goes over DJ Wanham, and there's some tape in that. So if you want to see the tape that I'm referring to, you can find that article in the show notes. Um, But let's talk about... DJ Wanham and and kind of his prospects here because it was a pretty ugly rookie season for him. Now look, he was a first a fourth round draft pick thrust into a starting role. The expectation here is not high, but that expectation is going to increase if we project DJ Wanham to a starting role. And when I posted my article, there were a couple people who were like, "Ah, I think DJ Wanham takes the next step. I think it'll be fine. I have faith." And to those people, I think they are underestimating how large of a step DJ Wanham would have to take. So let's talk about some of the things that DJ Wanham could stand to improve and how they could improve them. And I think the biggest thing that I noticed with DJ Wanham was uh, a technique flaw that actually could be easy enough to fix if you had a regular preseason. And I wonder if he did this in college too. I didn't check out his college tape, but maybe he did this in college too. And it's just something that they didn't have time to go through and fix because they couldn't work with him with their hands and stuff. And, you know, it was a weird preseason and he's a rookie. And I think you could probably chalk it up to that. But DJ Wanham stylistically as a rusher, right? He is a long, lanky, burst off the line kind of rusher. He doesn't have a lot of bulk behind him and he doesn't have a lot of agility. He didn't test very well in those measures and that shows up on tape as well. He can explode out of the blocks and, and you know, get off the snap really quickly and he's got a reach advantage. That's his, his style. And when you have those two strengths and you have weaknesses in agility and in bulk, a swim move is great for you. And so I I looked up Calais Campbell, who's great at the swim move. He did a video describing how he does the swim move. And there's a lot of different ways to set up a swim move, but the major part of a swim move is getting your outside hand on their outside shoulder and pulling them toward you and then doing that classic swim with your inside hand, right? And you can actually do it the opposite way. Uh, Calais Campbell says, you know, you can do it inside if you're really good at it, but it's a lot harder. The problem is tackles are going to try to get a punch on you. And if they get that punch on you and they win that leverage battle, you're not going to be able 
able to set up your swim move. So you kind of have to preempt that like two move, you know, grab the shoulder pull and then the actual swim. You have to preempt those two moves with a way of deflecting that punch. And what uh, what Calais Campbell does is a chop of the arms. So he, you know, knocks the arms down and then you've kind of thwarted the punch and then you can, you know, grab and swim, do your regular swim move. DJ Wanham doesn't do that chop. He goes for a shoulder shock where he'll actually put his inside hand onto onto the tackle's inside shoulder and try to like kind of win with a punch of his own. And because he has that length and that reach, he should be able to do that before the punch gets there. The problem, and he usually does, he usually will be the first one to make contact because he's longer. He has the reach advantage and he's trying to press that. The problem is there isn't enough oomph behind that punch. He doesn't actually get a, a leverage advantage from the punch. He manages to land his blow, land his strike, but it doesn't actually move the tackle very much, and it's easy enough for most tackles to stand up to it, keep their balance, uh, keep their anchor, and, uh, you know, kind of get their hands up into him, and then he's he's dead to rights because he doesn't have the agility nor the strength to kind of get out from under that and make a recovery move. And most offensive linemen, you know, once they get your hands on you, you are pretty much dead to rights. It's all about avoiding that particular trap and that fate. So I think DJ Wanham could stand to do this more like Calais Campbell does. Instead of relying on his reach and his strength, just do the chop. Get the arms out of there and use your height to get up and over the leverage of the offensive lineman, because he is a tall edge rusher. 71st percentile arm length, and he's got a really good broad, really good vertical jump. He is the kind of athlete that can get onto a uh, get onto a tackle very quickly, get out of the bo blocks very quickly, and if he could just do a little better at setting up that swim, it can work. And that's a technique thing I think Andre Patterson could employ this year now that he has a preseason. It would be the suggestion that I would make if I were in the room. But the problems don't end there. That's just one thing that I found kind of interesting with DJ Wanham's play that I think would be an easy fix and uh, one that, you know, kind of comes for free. You can change someone's technique without spending a dime of cap dollars, right? But the problem with Wanham doesn't end there because that lack of bulk, that lack of oomph shows up in a lot of ways too. He gets washed out of run plays a lot. It's difficult for him to get a push in the run game. It's difficult for him to get a push on a tackle if he isn't the penetrator on that play, the way that uh, a lot of defenses, Mike Zimmers included, design their pass rushes, is not necessarily telling everyone to pin their ears back and try to beat the offensive lineman. Sometimes your job is to hold the offensive lineman in a certain spot to get rid of escape lanes. So against mobile quarterbacks, you know, you're only having one guy who is tasked with, you know, beating their man. It, say it's Daniil Hunter, right? You have Daniil Hunter beat the tackle across from him, and the rest of the defensive linemen are either supposed to demand a double team, like if, you have, if you're Linval Joseph, if you're Michael Pierce, push somebody if you're like Dalvin Tomlinson or try to, you know, beat somebody upfield or something like that to, to lure a tackle upfield. And then, uh, you know, you can kind of make room for a blitzing linebacker or something, or you can uh, manipulate the pass, the, the escape lanes for the quarterback that way or manipulate the throwing lanes that way. And it's more of a spatial game. DJ Wanham doesn't have the push he needs to contribute the way he has to in that game. And so it kind of makes the pass rush that much harder to design. So he needs bulk and he needs to fix his swim move technique. His stunts are kind of clunky. That's where that lack of agility, that general, he was not a, he didn't test very well. He was like 43rd, 46th percentile in the agility drills. And again, that kind of shows up when you see him try to stunt and he just like has to come to a full stop and then get all his momentum back. And it's just very lumbering motion when he's trying to, you know, lure a tackle one way and then loop around the other way just takes too long. And it's really easy for the quarterback to, to identify that or easy for a center even to identify that there is a, an example in the article 
vehicle that I mentioned of Ryan Jensen. He has all the time in the world to identify it, come all the way across the formation and meet DJ Wanham in the gap to stop him from getting a pressure. All those problems, some of them are on, you can't just teach more agility, right? He just has that athleticism or he doesn't. You can ask him to gain weight, but that's going to make the explosion that much harder to do. It's going to make the agility problem that much worse. And ultimately, you know, he's that that might just be something he has to learn how to play without. You can get the swim, to, the swim moves better, but how long is that going to take and how much better is that going to make him? That said, it's not all doom and gloom. He does have some strengths that I would be remiss if I didn't mention. He has a quickness that, you know, he, he can accelerate, you know, kind of in a straight line. And that makes for recovery pressures. If he gets kind of knocked off the spot, he can get after the quarterback. It makes for cleanup sacks. I think that sort of athleticism contributed to the play you probably remember of his in Green Bay. He forced that fumble that ended that game in Lambeau in 2020. He got the win there, the, the Aaron Rodgers picture that's like everybody's Twitter avatar. And he can also set an edge okay. He can get up, get to a spot. He gets washed out sometimes. Again, it's that bulk problem. But overall, I would call his edge setting when he is the backside edge rusher or something more of a positive than a negative. But that said, if you're relying on him to be your starter or him to beat out Stephen Weatherly, I don't think that's happening. I don't think if you put him and Stephen Weatherly in a camp competition, I'm not too high on Stephen Weatherly, but I think Stephen Weatherly beats DJ Wanham out, and I don't think that that is good enough. So what do the Vikings do? There are a lot of options right now out there for them to do that. I think we have a sense for where they're going to go, so let's talk about the draft, and that's what we're going to do for the rest of the show. Uh, first, I want to talk to you about Bill Bar's the best tasting protein bar on the planet, all covered in 100% chocolate they're all delicious. Of course, Coconut Brownie Chunk One built madness. I'm still upset about it. Coconut got an unfair advantage. They got all the buys. They got the Brady treatment. But uh, if you want to try any of those flavors for yourself, you can head on over to BuiltBar.com. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They're better for you than they taste. And that's a very good thing. So that's at BuiltBar.com. You can use promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off of your next order. All right, the big Locked On NFL Mock Draft is here. I've teased this a little bit. I talked about it a little on yesterday's show. The Locked On NFL Network of Podcast is in draft mode. April 19th through the 26th, that's the, the week leading up to the draft. Tune into the ultimate Mock Draft 2021 featuring analysis from NFL experts like Michael Irvin, Brian Baldinger, and Michael Lombardi. Stay tuned for more info about where you can find the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021, presented by Odyssey and the Locked On Podcast Network. So we've done a lot of mock drafts, which means we've had an excuse to talk about a lot of these guys. Actually, one of these guys is in this Monday's Mock Draft Monday, if you want to go check that out. But I wanted to look at who the kind of um, the, the, the draft options were. There's also free agency, of course. The Vikings could take a free agent. Again, by the reporting, it sounds like the rest of their cap dollar is going to go towards the offensive line, and we're going to focus on edge rusher in the draft. That could be switched, right? You could go get an, an edge rusher right now, and you could go offensive line, offensive line in your first two picks in the draft or something like that. You know, you could trade down, get Samuel Cosme, and then use the that capital to trade up and get like Wyatt Davis or something like that, and then get Jadeveon Clowney in free agency. That would be a permutation I think would work, right? Um, but it sounds like they're going to get like probably a tackle in free agency and then focus on like guard and edge rusher in the draft. So if I had to guess, right? Um, and that's just based on like the reporting and stuff. So let's talk about these these top tier edge rushers. So on grinding the mocks in order of where they are currently being mocked in, in everyone's mock drafts right now. So this gives us a, a general lens into consensus. Uh, the six edge rushers that are going in the first two rounds on average, I think that can be our kind of pool of options, are Quiddy Pay out of Michigan, Jalen Phillips out of Miami, Gregory Rousseau also out of Miami, Jason Owe out of Penn State, there's Carlos Bash 
Basham out of Wake Forest. We took him this Monday. And um, there's also Ronnie Perkins, who is an, an Oklahoma Sooner. And there's also at number, on average at 67, there's Peyton Turner out of uh, Houston. Sometimes he goes in the bottom of the second round as well. So I figure he also bears at least an honorable mention here. Um, so I want to go over these guys because I think one of these people is going to be a Viking. Um, I would actually bet a lot of money that one of these people is going to be a Viking. And I know it hasn't been particularly common for the Vikings to draft edge rusher, but they also had Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter for so many years. Why would you draft an edge rusher with your first round pick? Even though edge rusher, I think, is a pretty important position, right? Like, they had it handled. So it doesn't, again, it, it's it's like the defense thing in general. Like, I don't know if that necessarily means that they don't think drafting edge rushers is good. It's that it never would have been good because who is he taking snaps away from, right? There wasn't really a place on the team for that rookie if you bring him in, so why bother? So let's talk about the edge rushers real quick, though. I'll rattle these off and kind of some takes that, if you've been listening to the Mock Draft Mondays, you probably already know this stuff, but I'm a big fan of Pay. I really, really like him. I don't know if he is my edge rusher one, but he might be my favorite prospect, and I think a lot of it depends on the upcoming medical combine with Jalen Phillips. We'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, Quiddy Pay, he is, I think, a little rush. He doesn't have a particularly developed pass rushing arsenal, but he has all the athleticism and tenacity that you would want. He can win with that while he learns new pass rush moves, and then he'll only get more formidable from there. I think he does come in and start on day one, even though he isn't maximized at day one. He's not at his ceiling yet, but where he is at is good enough to play. So I think that, you know, you're, you're not redshirting the guy, right? And I think that's a really important distinction with the these guys that are like seen as raw. There's also Jalen Phillips, who I think at, at this particular moment might be a better edge rusher, and he's got all the athleticism in the world. I'm not worried about his athleticism at all, um, but he has this concussions issue, right? He retired for two years, like expressly due to concussion issues, and then he came back to football and he played really, really well. But you have to wonder, A, is he going to, you know, be worried about if he gets a concussion, does he just retire again? And, you know, now what is the likelihood of him getting a concussion? How severe are those concussions going to be? You got to check in on that again. There's a medical combine coming up. Concussions are tough. I don't know if you actually can discern anything about that, but you have to check in on it and kind of make that judgment call. The Vikings have taken risks on people with medical problems before, like Dalvin Cook. He's dealing with a different kind of availability concern now, but Jeff Gladney also had a lot of knee surgeries and they drafted him kind of anyways. So this is not something the Vikings have shied away from in the past, but they have to do their homework, right? If they don't trust it, you know, they were totally out on like Jawan Taylor, who was dealing with a lot of knee problems at the time. So I, I don't know what the Vikings are going to do with Jalen Phillips, if they'll be in on Jalen Phillips. Um, I, I don't know if they will or not, but he's definitely an option. There's also Gregory Rousseau, who has been absolutely plummeting down draft boards. The only reason he probably still averages above like OA and Basham right now is because he was mocked in the first round a lot earlier in the process. And then he tanked his pro day and more people started watching tape and found things they didn't like. He seems like he's more of a third round prospect, um, but he does have, he was supposed to have a decent amount of athleticism. He kind of looked like an athletic but raw kind of guy. And then he bombed his testing. So personally, I'm out on Rousseau. He was my first mock draft Monday pick and I'm definitely taking that one back. I, I, I would love to have that one back. The next one is the prospect of the day for today. It's Jason Owe out of Penn State. He's an excellent athlete, and he's really, really exciting, actually. I mean, if you want an explosive player, he jumped 11 foot 2 inches at his broad jump at his pro day. It's ridiculous. He's logged with a 4.37 at his pro day, and that's a pro day, so you might want to add a tenth to it. Rule of thumbs, call it a 4.47. That's still ridiculous. I mean, there are corners that are slower. Uh, 6.93 cone. I mean, he's just got all the athleticism in the world. 
And I think with a little bit of polish, he can put all those tools to the test. Right now, he doesn't look very agile on tape because I think he just hasn't learned how to use it. He doesn't have quite a, a like polished, uh, you know, finished pass rush arsenal. And so a lot of times he'll get swallowed up by offensive linemen, and it happens a little bit too often. But I think he's still probably a first round prospect. I think I can say that um, even if he doesn't end up going in the first round, I think it would be justified to take him there. He's the kind of guy you would take if you traded down to 30 to get a second round pick, right? Or something you traded like way, way down to the bottom of the first or top of the second or something like that. If you ended up doing that and you end up getting Jason Owe, like that would be that permutation. And then you end up with a second round pick to pick an offensive lineman or something. Carlos Basham is somebody, again, I talked about him earlier in the week, really big fan of Carlos Basham, especially where he's being mucked right now. He might be the best like value here uh, in terms of where he's being picked versus what you think you're getting because he is, I think, a little bit more of a finished prospect and his athleticism definitely leaves very little to question. A lot of people maybe question him. He's a very powerful rusher and he's thinking a lot and trying to use too many techniques and little moves and, and uh, you know, jukes and dings and dungs and stuff. And maybe he should just bull rush a little bit more. And that's a really easy thing to coach into him. That might have just been a Wake Forest coaching preference thing. Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of Carlos Basham. I think he translates really well to the NFL. And the last guy that's like definitely in these second rounds, at least on average, is Ronnie Perkins, who I'm not as big of a fan of. He does have some good uh, moves. There's some something to his speed to power. He gets a, around uh, the edge reasonably and all that stuff. But he there's a sample size issue that we have with him because he only has like maybe a half year of like really good production. A lot of that is dominated by one game. Um, and so there is something to, you know, why are we only seeing a little bit of this? You see the upside and he kind of flash, but is that truly who he is? And that I think compared to all these other guys that are just these like ridiculous athletes that also dominated all this, it seems appropriate to maybe project him to come off the board a little bit later. And the last guy I want to quick talk about is Peyton Turner out of Houston. There's obviously a, a competition level concern there, but he does have some good tape against less than good tackles, and you kind of have to parse that out. Um, but he probably comes off the board a little bit later as well. Ultimately, I love this edge class. I think this is a really, really good time to need an edge rusher and want one in the first round, which is why I think edge rusher in the first round is a really good idea. Not only does it fill a dire need for the Vikings. I mean, you're worried about offensive line. I'm way more worried about edge rusher. I think it's terrible. At this juncture, I'd much rather start Mason Cold and say Stephen Weatherly. So I think that justifies taking an edge rusher. And I think just the edge rushers that you have access to are more exciting than the the tackles or guards you might have access to. Yeah, there's Elijah Vera Tucker and I like him, but you know, there's no no sense reaching for Wyatt Davis in the first when you can have an edge rusher and go get somebody else later. So not only do I think it's justifiable to go get an edge rusher in the first round, right now it's kind of my favorite idea. And I think I'm probably gonna still think that way come draft night, unless I fall in love with someone else I haven't looked into yet. So I think they should take an edge rusher in the first round. I think I've laid out that case well. Uh, if you disagree, you know, hey, let me know. Of course, you can always find me on Twitter at NFL. shows on Twitter at LockedOnVikings, and I'll see y'all tomorrow. And as always, Skull!